Good morning. This is Jake Brown, and I'm the preacher at Liberty Christian Church in beautiful Madison, Indiana. We meet every Sunday at 1030 a.m., and you can find us at 8774 North U.S. Highway 421, Madison, Indiana. Again, that's 8774 North U.S. Highway 421, Madison, Indiana. If you're familiar with the area, we're just 2.2 miles north of the old Jefferson Proving Ground entrance right there on Highway 421. I want you to know this morning that that we would love to have you come join us in person Sundays at 1030. We love to meet new people and we love to make ourselves available to help others learn the true story of who Jesus is, what he did, why he did it, and how to personally get in on the story. This morning as you're listening, I encourage you to follow along in your Bible if you're able. I encourage you to take notes if you can. Try to write down the main points that you catch from today's message. Write down the Bible references you hear so that you can read over them again later. And be sure to jot down anything else that you hear this morning that you think is important or might be something that you'd like to study further. Well, it's just about time for the sermon to start, so turn up the volume, tune out the distractions, and it's my prayer that you find this morning's message engaging and meaningful. Two weeks ago, I preached a sermon called Planting with Prayer, and hopefully you remember Paul's prayer list for opportunities and clarity and courage in proclaiming the message of Christ to others, and hopefully you've been praying for those same things and have been seeing answers to those prayers. Last week, I preached a message called I Can't Proclaim the Gospel, and I hope that message was helpful for you as we discussed some of those personal reasons why some people think that they can't be used by God to proclaim the gospel to others. This week, I want to preach a message called Catch the Vision. Catch the vision. I don't know if you've heard that phrase before, catch the vision, but typically you hear it used in the business world. Businesses that are smart, businesses that end up being successful, those businesses are intentional about making the vision that they have for their business crystal clear to to everybody. It helps them to stay on track and for everybody to be on the same page in their organizations. Now, many businesses, average businesses and poor businesses, they just hire and hope for the best, but good businesses want all of their employees, from upper management to the last guy hired on the lowest level, to catch the vision. Because they know that each individual in that company has a much better chance of making the right choice and doing the right thing more often when they have caught the vision, when they understand the big picture purpose of the organization and only operate in ways that align with that vision. Well, as usual, This successful principle was first explained to us by God, not man. This this principle was, was laid out for us in God's word long before man started employing it in the business world. Proverbs 29 verse 18 is where I want to start this morning. Proverbs 29, verse 18. If you've got your Bibles uh, with you as you're listening to this, flip there very quickly. And we're just going to read this one verse to get us started this morning. Proverbs 29, verse 18. Scripture says this, Where there is no vision, the people are unrestrained, but happy is he who keeps 
the law. Now, other versions will translate this as where there is no vision, the people perish. Maybe you've heard it that way before. The Greek word that's used there has a number of possible translations, but none of them would actually change the, the understood meaning in the context here. That word can be translated as unrestrained or perish, but also uh, to expose or to uncover or to make naked or to set at naught. Proverbs 29 verse 18 that we just read is right in the middle of a chapter that deals with the benefits of exercising godly wisdom and, of course, the dire consequences of failing to do so. So in that context, we can understand that first line of verse 18 to essentially be saying something like, where there is no vision, the people are going to suffer greatly. Right or the the people are uh, going to have negative consequences. Right where there is no vision, we know from the context here at a bare minimum there are going to be bad consequences. It's going to be a negative thing. People are going to suffer. We know that much is true regardless of whether you want to translate that word as unrestrained or perish or exposed or any of those other definitions. No vision equals people suffering. So now, what about that vision? What kind of vision are we talking about here? We'd probably all come up with slightly different answers, maybe maybe drastically different answers, but I'd say they'd all be pretty similar. Uh, maybe you're thinking it's simply um, a clear understanding. Maybe that's the kind of vision we're talking about, being able to understand things clearly. Maybe it's forward thinking, being able to look out and, 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 and kind of uh, perceive what may happen, things that could happen in the, the future uh, based on circumstances and, you know, kind of um, looking at the landscape of things. Maybe, maybe the vision is talking about wise planning, being able to actually, uh, with wisdom, uh, get yourself prepared for uh, things that could happen in the future, being able to not only see those things and being able to understand what could happen, but being able to wisely plan for those things. Maybe it's just simply referring to God's vision, seeing the world the way God does. Maybe it's a unified moral standard, right? Everybody being on the same page like that, uh, catching the vision we talked about, how the, the business world wants everybody on the same page. So maybe it's talking about some kind of unified moral standard. Or maybe it's talking about employing godly wisdom by seeing things in a certain way. That would certainly make sense given the context is, is, um, is leaning toward that, right? Talking about um, employing godly wisdom throughout the chapter. Well, let me throw this idea at you. If we saw things God's way, if we see the big picture of God's plan for us and we operate from that vision, we're going to have all these things clear understanding, forward thinking, wise planning, God's vision, a unified moral standard, godly wisdom, and so on. So this morning, what I'd like us to do is look at God's big picture. Let's see what we need to see. Let's catch the vision. And I'm going to pro propose to you that there are three main components that make up the vision we need to see, that we need to see, we need to understand and communicate to others, all right? First of all, we need to see the vision of lost humanity. If you've ever made any attempt whatsoever to get involved in sharing the gospel, you've probably heard it said in some form or fashion before, you can't save a man until you convince him of the fact that he's lost, right? You can't save a man until you convince him that he's lost. See, a person, of course, has to understand that they're lost and needs saving 
before they'll respond to a savior. They have to be convinced that they need saving before they'll actually respond to you telling them that there's a way to be saved and there is a savior who is there to save. We often start with uh, Romans 3.23. We quote Romans 3.23 that says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And, you know, it seems, at least to me, that we often emphasize all have sinned, all have sinned, right? We're all sinners. But the second part of that verse gives us the important consequence of our being sinners. We fall short of the glory of God, the Scripture says. Guys, living, living life our own way, for ourselves falls short. It misses the mark. It doesn't cut it. It isn't enough. It will not work. It does not compute with God's righteousness. Sinning, and by consequence, falling short of the glory of God, separates our connection to God. And once that relationship is severed, we can't, on our own, earn our way back. That, that's why we call it being lost. Sinners need a Savior. And so we need a vision of mankind's lostness without the Savior, without the great shepherd of our souls, and we need to communicate that vision to others because people today are still like scattered sheep. In Matthew chapter 9, verse 36, Matthew 9, 36, Scripture says, Seeing the people, he, that is Jesus, he felt compassion for them because they were distressed and dispirited like sheep without a shepherd. That's what scripture says in Matthew 9, 36. People today are still like sheep without a shepherd. Now, what's the problem with sheep who don't have a shepherd? Pretty much everything, right? Pretty much everything. A sheep can wander around and graze for a little while, and things can seem okay for a little while, but sooner or later, they're going to realize that they need a shepherd. They have a great need. They require a shepherd. Sheep need the protection provided by a shepherd. They need the care provided by a shepherd. They need the guidance provided by a shepherd. They need the peace provided by a shepherd. They need a shepherd to lead them to nourishment. Sheep can't live long without a shepherd. Now, what's the problem with a person who is without the shepherd? Once again, pretty much everything, right? They can wander around and graze on a little bit of everything for a, a little while, and things can seem okay for a little while, but sooner or later, eventually, they will realize their need for the shepherd. Before it's too late, we need to communicate the vision to them that they need the protection provided by the Savior, the care, the guidance, the peace, the nourishment. They need all these things from the great shepherd of, of souls, right? Our Savior. People like sheep can't live forever without the shepherd and Savior. People today are still like scattered sheep wandering around without a shepherd. People today are still like unharvested grain also. Matthew chapter 9, verse 37, the very next verse here, Matthew 9, verse 37 says, Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. So one verse, after telling us that Jesus was concerned for the people because they were like sheep without a shepherd, Matthew tells us that Jesus' response was to tell his disciples that the harvest is plentiful. After Jesus sees these people and analyzes the situation that they were distressed and dispirited like sheep without a shepherd, he tells his disciples, he turns and says aloud to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. 
So people are like unharvested grain. There's plenty of it. And if it doesn't get harvested, it's good for nothing. It's worthless, right? It'll just fall over in the field. It'll fall over dead, good for nothing. It's just going to be bound up and thrown into a fire and just burned up because it can't be used. We need a vision that doesn't just look at other people in this world as mere cohabitants of planet Earth people who are taking up space around us, but as souls. We need to see them as souls that need to be harvested for the Lord. We've got to see others as lost without faith in the Savior and obedience to Him. We need to catch the vision of lost humanity. We need to look around and see people the way Jesus saw them. Secondly, we need to see the vision of a loving Christ, the vision of a loving Christ. Along with that vision of lost humanity, humanity, we also need to catch the vision of a loving Christ, the loving Christ. Now, not just a, a vision of a Christ who said he loved us, not just a vision of, a, of the concept of a Christ who loves us, not just a vision of a Christ who we feel loves us, but a vision of an actual loving Christ, one who has proven his love through the most sacrificial acts of love the world has ever seen. Jesus showed us what love looks like. You see, love isn't just a feeling. Love is action. Love is providing for. Love is sacrificing for. Love is serving. Love is helping. Loving someone means act, being, being actively involved in their life. And Christ loves that way. Look at Isaiah chapter 53 verse 5. We're going to look at a couple verses here in Isaiah 53, but first Isaiah chapter 53 verse 5. Scripture says, but he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell upon him, and by his scourging we are healed. He did it all for us. That's love. He wasn't passive. He took action on our behalf. He was providing for us. He was sacrificing for us. He was serving us. He was helping us. He was taking an active, involved role in our lives, those whom he loves. As the old song says, on a hill far away stood an old rugged cross, the emblem of suffering and shame. And I love that old cross where the dearest and best for a world of lost sinners was slain. Everything Jesus did was an act of love. We need the vision of a loving Christ because only a loving Christ can begin to resolve the vision of a lost humanity, that first vision that we talked about. Because everything he did was an act of love. He left glory. Why did he leave glory? For us. It was an act of love, right? Philippians 2 tells us that he didn't regard equality with God a thing to be grasped or held on to, but he emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. He left the glory above for, for that. How humble is that? How loving is that for the sake of God's plan to save us, for the sake of the opportunity to serve us, for the sake of our salvation, for the chance to come to his creation as his creation and to love us in the way that we needed it the most. He emptied himself and he came to earth in complete humility and he was rejected. Isaiah 53 verse 3 says he was despised and forsaken of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and like one whom men hide their face, he from whom men hide their face, he was despised, and we did not esteem him. 
So Isaiah is prophesying here in, in the present tense because it was so sure that that would happen. But he's prophesying that Jesus, that the Christ would be rejected by men. And of course, we know that came to pass. He was indeed rejected by men. Passages like 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 4 tell us, and coming to him as to a living stone, which has been rejected by men, but is choice and precious in the sight of God. And in Luke 14, after Jesus spoke in the synagogue in Nazareth, where he grew up in his hometown, where everyone should love him and be proud of him. Luke 14, verses 28 and 29 say this, And all the people in the synagogue were filled with rage as they heard these things. And they got up and drove him out of the city and led him to the brow of the hill on which their city had been built in order to throw him down the cliff. Guys, not just rejected, but rejected by those that he had come to save and because he had come to save. Had he not loved us and wanted to save us, he wouldn't have come. And he wouldn't have had to endure such awful rejection. But he wasn't only rejected, he was also beaten. He was beaten because he loved us. Because he had come to earth and demonstrated his love for us, we, mankind, beat him. Mark chapter 14, verse 65 says, Some began to spit at him, and to blindfold him, and to beat him with their fists, and to say to him, Prophesy! And the officers received him with slaps in the face. This was all part of the plan to save us. To save us from this kind of wickedness, he inevitably had to endure it. If he was going to save us from our sins, he was going to have to come to earth where sinful man was, and he was going to have to endure basically everything we had to throw at him. But of course, it got worse than just rejection and just beating. Eventually, he was killed because of his love for us killed for us. He allowed himself to be crucified for us. It was another act of love. Every scene of the crucifixion ever depicted, every scene of his death in the Bible, these are all visions of a loving Christ because his death was yet another demonstration of his love for us. He did it for us. Christ died for our sins. 1 Corinthians 15, 3, Paul says, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins According to the scriptures, we need to catch the vision of a loving Christ. And last but far from least, we need to catch the vision of a lasting eternity. The vision of a lasting eternity. Eternity is reality. And this has got to be part of our vision as Christians, and we've got to share this vision with others. Eternity is not something that a person can opt out of. You can't just choose to not participate in eternity. A person can ignore it for a little while. A person can refuse to prepare for it. But eventually a time of reckoning will come. Eventually the teacher is going to come around and grade the tests, whether you studied or not, whether you prepared or not, whether you cared or not, whether you took it seriously or not. And what happens from that point will depend on your choices. Everyone, everyone will spend eternity in one of two places. There are no other options. We need to have a clear vision of these two eternal places, and we need to show others a clear vision of these two eternal places, these, these eternal destinations. There's heaven. Revelation 21 verse 4 tells us a little bit about how things are going to be in that place. Revelation 21 verse 4 says, And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will no longer be any death. There will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. 
And in that same chapter, we get a description of eternal destination option number two, hell. Revelation 21 verse 8 says, But for the cowardly and unbelieving and abominable and murderers and immoral persons and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars, their part will be in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Folks, anyone who isn't living their lives with a clear vision of a lasting eternity is doomed to spend that lasting eternity in hell. The Bible makes it clear that, that heaven is a, a prepared place for prepared people, people who are ready. Over and over, the prophets, the apostles, and Jesus himself urge us to be prepared. No one's going to heaven by accident. No one's going there who didn't want to be there, who didn't plan to be there, who, who didn't uh, love Christ and respond to him in, in order to be there. Jesus taught through a number of parables the necessity of being ready at all times, preparing ourselves and remaining prepared, remaining ready at all times, because we don't know when we're going to step out into eternity. In Matthew chapter 24, verse 44, Jesus said, For this reason, you also must be ready. For the Son of Man is coming at an hour when you do not think he will. In Matthew 25, verse 13, the scripture says, Be on the alert then, for you do not know the day nor the hour. In Matthew chapter 22, verses 11 through 13 says, But when the king came in to look over the dinner guests, he saw a man there who was not dressed in wedding clothes, and he said to him, Friend, how did you come in here without wedding clothes? And the man was speechless. Then the king said to the servants, Bind him hand and foot and throw him into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. If a person isn't clothed with Christ, clothed in the proper garments, prepared, ready, with a clear view of a lasting eternity, the Bible says bound, hand and foot, thrown into the outer darkness where there's going to be weeping and gnashing of teeth in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. But the really good news is that for those who have the vision, those who catch the vision of a lasting eternity, those who see it and prepare for it, those who see it and act on it, Scripture says he'll wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will no longer be any death. There will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. Everything that we've experienced in this life, everything that's broken our hearts, everything that's, that's troubled our minds, everything that we've um, hated to have to face, everything we've, we've despised having to endure. He's going to take it all away, wipe every tear from our eyes. No longer going to be any death, sickness, dying, crying, pain, none of it. Have you caught the vision? A vision of lost humanity? A vision of a loving Christ? And a vision of a lasting eternity? Where there is no vision, people perish. As we finish things up here this morning, I'd like to ask those of you listening on the radio right now the most important question that any of us could ever be asked. It's a question that each and every single one of us needs to be able to answer honestly. Here's the question. If the Lord were to return today, do you know for sure, no doubts whatsoever, that you would go to live with Him forever? Do you know for certain that He's going to let you into heaven? Can a person even know? 
In 1 John chapter 5, verse 13, the Apostle John writes that we can know. He says, These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may know that you have eternal life. That's good news. I want to know that I have eternal life. Now, let's back up just a little bit, and I want to show you a reality that's in the Scriptures that we need to deal with. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 7-9, through 9, Scripture says there's coming a day when the Lord Jesus Christ will be revealed from heaven with His mighty angels in flaming fire, dealing out retribution to those who do not know God and to those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. These will pay the penalty of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His power. Who did this passage of Scripture say was going to pay the penalty of eternal destruction? Well, there are two groups listed. Number one, those who do not know God. And secondly, those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. Now, maybe you know God. I hope you do. But let me ask you this. Have you obeyed the gospel? Before you answer that, let's make sure we know what the gospel is. In Romans chapter 1, verse 16, the Apostle Paul says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. So the gospel is the power of God for salvation. But what is it? What is the gospel? We know what it does. We know uh, the power that it holds. But what is the gospel? Well, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 through 4, the Bible interprets itself here. The, the Apostle Paul writes, Now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received, in which also you stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. So, there are three main statements that make up the gospel. Christ died for our sins, Christ was buried, Christ was raised on the third day. The Bible teaches us that his death paid the price for our sin, and his resurrection made eternal life possible for us. So now that we understand what the gospel is, let's get back to our question, how do we obey the gospel? I want to read Romans chapter 6, just verses 3 and 4 for you, and I want you to listen and see if you can hear all three parts of the gospel being played out here, the death, the burial, and the resurrection. The Bible says here in Romans chapter 6, verses 3 and 4, Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death. Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. Did you catch that? Did you find the three parts of the gospel there? When we are baptized, the Bible says, we are baptized into Christ's death. When we are baptized, the Bible says, we are buried with Christ. And finally, when we are baptized, we are raised up as Christ was raised from the dead so that we too will walk in newness of life. 
If you haven't obeyed the gospel, please know that we would love to talk with you about your situation. We would love to answer any questions you have. We would appreciate the opportunity to discuss with you the costs of following Christ. If you're interested, keep listening, and we'll tell you how you can get in touch with us in just a moment. I'm Jake Brown, and on behalf of the church, I want to thank you for listening to today's broadcast. If you're in the area, I want to encourage you to join us in person at Liberty Christian Church at one of our Sunday services. We meet at 1030 a.m., again, 1030 each and every Sunday morning at 8774 North U.S. Highway 421, Madison, Indiana. That's 8774 North U.S. Highway 421, Madison, Indiana. And if you'd like to get in touch with us, just call 812-273-1518. That's 812-273-1518. Or you can send us a message directly from our website, wwwliberty Christian.com. But again, we'd love to have you join us in person if you're physically able to do so. Jesus created his church as a body of people. His church is a family made up of sons and daughters of God, brothers and sisters in Christ, and we have been called to meet together regularly. The pattern that we see from the church in the Bible is that they met every Sunday. So if you're able, Come meet with us next Sunday right here at Liberty Christian Church in beautiful Madison, Indiana. We love you, God loves you, and it is our prayer that he will bless you this week as you seek his truth.